One of the most like overused, I guess, phrases that people have, have said over the years is God helps those who helps themselves. God helps those who help themselves. As a matter of fact, 81% of Americans believe that that is a Bible verse, that God helps those who help themselves. Why? Well, I mean, because, you know, on paper, that sounds good. To our self-help, so to speak, mentality that we're born in, hey, if we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, God will help those if we, if we make the first move. And I, I get why people think that, but the reality is, we have to find ourselves, not God helps those who helps themselves, that he helps the helpless. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning because there are many people in this room and we know people who are struggling with relational issues. There's been betrayals, there's pain, there's pressure, there's depression, there's addictions and things that people are going through and that we're struggling with. We need help. We need something that's, that's bigger and stronger than a, a Christian band-aid or a cliche. We need real help. It says in Isaiah 25, verse 4, it says, The poor and the helpless have fled to you and have been safe in times of trouble. You give them shelter from the storms and shade from the burning heat. Years ago, I heard a, a quote from Charles Stanley, and he said, that it's, it's okay for the Christian to feel helpless, but never hopeless. I've always liked that. I wrote that in my Bible um, in the story that we're going to look at today, that if you feel it's okay to feel helpless, we should feel helpless. We were created to depend upon God and to be empowered by God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're never hopeless because of what he's provided for us in this life and in the life to come, that we're building our life, just as we were singing, on something that's a firm, strong foundation. Nobody can take away what Jesus has provided for you. No one can take away the promise of eternal life. No one can take away the peace or the joy that he promises. Lots of other things can be taken away, but not that. The definition of helpless is we're unable to help oneself, impossible to control one's circumstances. We've been there, right? You probably feel that way today. I got good news. It's okay to feel helpless. The word hope means the anticipation of something good, the confident expectation of God's faithfulness. I love that definition. God will, God will be faithful. It's confident expectation in his faithfulness. So we're in a series. Uh, we started on Easter called Signs, and we're going through the seven different miracle, miraculous signs that Jesus did in the Gospel of John. We started on Easter with the resurrection being the sign of all signs, but then now we started with Jesus turning water into wine, and then uh, healing of the royal official son, and then today, and we're going to finish, do all seven of these signs. The purpose of the signs, the reason Jesus did the miracles was he was demonstrating and backing up his claims that he was the son of God. Jesus made some very, very bold statements. He made some very, very bold claims that he, that he backed up. To say you're the son of God, you're either crazy, <laughs> you know, that's what people were thinking, are you nuts? That's what got him hung on a cross ultimately was to equate himself with God. And Jesus said he was the bread of life, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And so the, the signs that he did 
authenticated who he was. And they're there for us today to have confidence in who Jesus is. But a sign also in a practical sense, it, it points you in the right direction to get you to the right destination. That's what a sign does. And so all these signs are here for you and I to have a deeper confidence in Jesus, not in any other person, but a, a co deeper confidence in who he is and who he promises to be for us. So I want to read to you from chapter 5 of the Gospel of John, beginning in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's so key. Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. A few of us from Novation um, were in Israel uh, in the month of March. We were there for 10 days. And so we took some pictures at the Pool of Bethesda. The Pool of Bethesda is in the old city of Jerusalem. And so over the years, the archaeological discoveries of Jerusalem and the, the biblical archaeological sites are amazing. And so I think we have some pictures of the Pools of Bethesda. So if you see, like, walking down in the five colonnades, so that's if you can picture in your mind this guy was wanting to get down into the pools. You can just kind of randomly go through those um, See him there, see the colonnades and where the pools would have been. So this man was waiting. There's Troy and Emily Eggers. <laughs> uh, and then um, he would try to get in this mystical pool, right? His hope was in this mystical pool. And this is what it looks like today when you go visit the site. And it was kind of funny. I had something funny set up for you. There's a, the Catholic Church set up a, a church that was like from the time of the Crusades, and you go into this church, and the acoustics on the are amazing in there. We sang a couple songs, and there was this uh, this priest or something that that was just sawing logs at the door, like he was wait he was supposed to be overseeing, and he was asleep. I actually took a little video. I know that's not very cool. I thought it was funny. So there's there's him in the background there. I don't know if you can see him. That's me. And he finally woke up when I was taking that picture and stared me down a little bit. He reminded me of the guy at the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the guy that was guarding the cup. Like he was, yeah, that was him. So I digress. But the, the false belief that this guy had in this mystical pool, if you're going, what does it mean the waters be stirred? How is he trying to get in? For some reason, the people had this belief in these pools that if the water was stirred by an angel, that's when you jump in and that's when you would get healed of whatever was ailing you. And so his hope was in the pool. Jesus shows up to turn his trust and hope not in the pool, but in him himself. And here's the deal. He met him where he was at. And he will meet you where you're at this morning. So 
over the time that we have left together, I want to talk about how do we move from that feeling of helpless to hopeful, because many of you today feel helpless. And I believe God has a word for you to help you move from just that overwhelming helpless feeling to a, a true feeling of hopeful, hopefulness in Jesus. And I believe the rest of us that maybe if you're not in a helpless situation or feeling right now, this is preventative medicine for what's going to happen in your life because we're all going to go through stuff. Life brings problems and issues and things for us that make us feel helpless. So how do we move from helpless to hopeful? The first thing is to realize and admit that I'm helpless. The first step is to realize and admit that I'm helpless. It's interesting that, you know, it says this guy was there for 38 years and that he was an invalid. So the, the New Testament was translated from Greek to English. So when we read out of our English Bibles, it was the original language was Greek. The Greek word for invalid literally means uh, powerless, without strength, unable to do for yourself. But it's interesting, it's not just a word that's used just in the physical sense. It, it is used there here in this text. But in other places, in Paul's writings in Romans, when he's talking about our inability to do right, our inability, we're born in this condition of selfishness. He said that same word for invalid is, is a moral powerlessness that we're born with. And learning to depend upon Jesus and learning to depend upon the Holy Spirit, we need that as well. So here's the point in all of that. You and I need to identify with this guy. If you're going to get out of this, the truth out of this story, out of this sign, we got to identify that we're him. Put yourself in his shoes. Because left to ourselves, each one of us is helpless and broken. That's one thing I love about our church is we're not building community on some sort of shared dogma, right? We're building community on the fact that we're all broken. And, and so if you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years, you still need grace every day. If you're not sure about Jesus, you need grace too, and you need to receive that grace. So that levels the playing field, so to speak, for all of us. We're all, all broken in need of healing from the Savior, Second thing to move from helplessness to hopefulness is I got to reject self-reliance. I got to reject self-reliance. When, when we feel helpless, the temptation is to kick into self-survival mode. I'll pull myself up by my bootstraps. I, I can do this. I can do it. And the more you try, the more you spiral out of control, the more life spirals out of control. And we need to reset our focus off of ourselves onto God in prayer is one of the greatest antidotes to self-reliance. We don't pray just to get God to do what we want him to do. When you learn that prayer is to, to get our hearts and minds focused on him, and that prayer is the ultimate act of dependence upon God, when you lay your life, your needs, the needs of others to God, you're saying, I depend upon you. Sometimes we forget that. That sounds so simple, right? That our, that our kids know how to do that. And yet, those of us that are older, we forget that. Let's don't forget why God gave us this relationship through prayer. Jesus asked the man, do you want to get well? 
Guess what? He's asking you that this morning. Do you want to get well? Those of you that are feeling helpless and overwhelmed, do you want to get well? This man became so focused on one solution, he was unable to see God's solution. He was so fixated on this one solution, he couldn't see what God's solution was. If I could just get into this pool, everything will be be okay. And don't we do that, though? We have our own ifs. If I just got a new job, everything would be okay. If my spouse would just shape up, I'd be okay. If uh, I won the lottery, everything would be okay. And if this or that happened. But you know what? We need to instead say, God, let your will be done. Let your will be done in, our, in my situation. So how do we reject self-reliance? I need to give up control. How many control freaks do we have in here? Oh, come on. Give me a break, right? If you know how to worry, you know that you're a control freak. Because worry is a form of trying to control circumstances, my feelings, trying to control circumstances and people. And so worry is the ultimate act of trying to control something. But to admit that we're helpless and that we're dependent upon God, that's the first step. Again, self-reliance believes that somehow we're in control of circumstances and others. And one of the best things I've ever learned in my life is when you find yourself in a helpless situation, nine times out of ten, it's because a person in your life is blocking your goal. Let me give you, tell you what I, give you an example of what I mean by that. Let's say you're in a marriage and your goal is, I want to have a good marriage. Let's just say that, for example. Well, that takes two people to want to have a good marriage. You might want to have a good marriage, but your spouse might not really care about having a good marriage, might not do the things that, that, that they should do in order to have a good marriage. So what's happening, your goal is being blocked by another person. And what we need to always look at in life when we feel helpless is, I need a new goal that doesn't depend upon another person. Because if the goals of life are all dependent upon somebody else's cooperation, you're setting yourself up for those blocked goals. So what can you, uh, you can set a new goal, taking that example. God, how can you change me? Something that you and God can work on together that doesn't depend upon your spouse or somebody else in a difficult circumstance. God, how can you make me more loving, more patient, more kind, less of a scorekeeper? All of these things in my life, that's what's most important. You and God can work on that one together. If it's dependent upon somebody else, it's difficult. And then another way of rejecting self-reliance is I need to avoid spiritual legalism. What do I mean by that? Legalism, by definition, towards God is, you know, I can merit God's favor and forgiveness by what I do and don't, don't do. If I do this or I avoid that, then God is now obligated to answer all my prayers exactly how I want them to be. And we need to avoid that. That's, that becomes self-reliant because you're depending upon your good behavior to get God to do something that you, you feel like you want him to do in your life. It doesn't work like that. If I do this and that, 
God becomes obligated. So we need to avoid that too. The third thing to move from helpless to, to hopefulness is I need to reject self-pity. How many have ever thrown a pity party? And you invited the whole neighborhood. You invited your family and friends. Let's feel sorry for ourselves together. We're good at that. Feeling sorry for yourself is like a huge drug in our life that we can get addicted to, to feel sorry for ourselves. Self-pity results from, exclusive, for fo- from focusing exclusively on self rather than God. When I'm in self-pity, I'm focusing on myself rather than God. It's always going to be the issue when you're having a pity party. And I want to challenge you, if you're feeling this, if this is connecting with you this morning, and this is by no means to ever belittle or, or make small some your problems that you're going through because they're real, right? But you need truth in the middle of helplessness more than you need anything else. And the challenge when we feel sorry for ourselves or when we're going through something, or even looking back and saying, I've been through something in my life, is am I going through something worse than what Jesus went through? Because Jesus went through our worst nightmares times 10, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He went through our worst nightmares. We've never even scratched the surface to what Jesus went through. And so we're told to fix our eyes on him, the author and finish of our faith. So when you fix your eyes on Jesus, all my problems, they don't have my, they're not controlling me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Self-pity, it leads to blaming others. It leads to blaming others. Did you, did you notice in what, the, what we read from this story, when Jesus asked him if he wanted to get well, he didn't say yes. All he did was complain that people butted in front of him. He didn't say, yeah, I want to get well. He said, oh, people butt in front of me and I can never get to the front of the line and actually get into the pool. And you know what? For, for us we are tempted to say in, in our, our situations, if they just would have been a better spouse, then I wouldn't be, feel this way. If my parents had just been better parents to me, I wouldn't be this way. And we begin to blame other people for why we are where we're at in life. And we need to stop blaming other people for why we feel what we feel and begin to focus on Jesus the first step out of, out of blaming others for why you feel or, or in the situation that you're in is to say, what can I do in this situation with God's help? What can I do with God's help? And maybe even say it this way, instead of focusing on what's been done to me, focus on what can be done through you. Stop focusing on what's been done to you. What can God do through you? We're told in 2 Corinthians that we're to comfort those with the same comfort we've received from God. When you go through pain, you receive comfort. God is now giving you the ability to comfort somebody else. So important. Blame is an attempt to escape responsibility. It's the ultimate. It's, a, it's an attempt to escape responsibility. The, the, the key to maturity in all areas of life is learning how to take responsibility for your life. Learning how to take responsibility for your choices and not blaming everybody else for where you're at. 
it's such a beautiful thing when you see somebody who's been dealt a tough hand in their life, and instead of becoming bitter, they become better. Those, are some, that's, those stories move my heart. And then I can reject self-pity <clears throat> by laughing and serving others. You're thinking, by laughing? Yeah, laughter is such a good medicine for the soul. So I want to show you a, a video, and I'll t- explain the video as soon as it's done. I could watch that all day. The backstory when that guy posted that on YouTube was they were tearing up a job rejection letter that he had just got. He was in line for a job and they sent him a letter and said, no, you don't get the job. And so instead of throwing a pity party, he tore it up and then his son was having a ball with that, man. That was good. Sometimes you just got to laugh. Learn to laugh at ourselves and not take ourselves and life so dang serious. We're amped out to level 10 all the time. Stop and laugh a little bit. Laugh at yourself. We need to learn to do that. Um, But it's not only finding joy or laughter in things, it's learning to serve others as well is one of the ultimate ways to to reject self-pity. I read about uh, Robert Schuller was a pastor in Southern California, had, used to have a TV show and a, and a big church in Orange County. And he, one time he was ministering overseas, and uh, he got a phone call that his daughter had been in an accident and had to get one of her legs amputated. And so it says that he, uh, he came home as fast as he could, and he went directly to the hospital that she was in. And He was thinking and praying, and as he turned the corner, he saw his little daughter's leg up in traction and a little blood on the end of the stump of her leg, and he got a lump in his throat, and he was like, what do I say? And he said he walked in, and she looked at him, and she said, oh, Dad, glad you're here. She said, I've been sitting here thinking about so many other people that have had arms and legs amputated and been through difficulties and how much... Other people have been through things worse than me. She said, I got a lot of ministry ahead of me. I got a lot of ministry ahead of me. I mean, that, that moved my heart because we look at our situation and we fall into self-pity. It's hard to get out of that. <clears throat> so how does Jesus help us when we're helpless? How do we apply what happened in this story to us? First, I want you to notice a couple things that, that he didn't do. This is not on your notes, but he didn't offer to help him into the pool, right? He didn't say, okay, let me help you into the pool. He didn't do that. 
He didn't pat him on the head and say, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll get in the front of the line one day. One day you'll get him. He didn't say, uh, he didn't make him more comfortable. Here, here's a fresh new little mat that you can use and a pillow and a mint. He, he didn't try to make him comfortable. He didn't argue the man's theological shortcomings. Some of us need to hear that. Because he had bad theology when it came to this mystical pool that he was going to get healed by. But he didn't argue with him over that. Jesus knew his condition. He knew his situation. He knows yours. He knows yours. And the question he's asking you again, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? When he asked that man, do you want to get well, he was activating that man's faith. And Jesus is asking you today, do you want to get well? He's activating your faith. But you got to get well his way. Do what he says to do. Not all the outward other things that we can dream up, but what is his remedy for where you're at? So the first thing Jesus does, how he helped this man and how he helps us today is he said, get up, <laughs> get up. Jesus challenged, challenges us to do the very thing we could never do for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? Helplessness does not mean he does for us. It doesn't mean he does for us. It means we learn to be empowered by him, that through us, his power is working. Not us saying, okay, Jesus, I got it this time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up or I'm gonna do this difficult thing. We're, we are so guilty of that. It's, Lord, empower me in my weakness. Empower me apart from you, I can do nothing. And he that's the definition of grace. Grace is the, the, the power to do what you could never do on your own. And so we need grace for every area of our life, not just in salvation, but, to, but to, to be a parent, to be a spouse, to be a good employee, to be whatever it is, it's all by grace. A guy named William Barclay, he said uh, something that I thought I wanted to share with you. He said, the first essential toward receiving the power of Jesus is the intense desire for it. If in our inward heart we are well content to stay as we are, there can be no change for us. The desire for better things must be surging within us. That's truth right there. Second thing Jesus told him is he said, take up your mat. Take up your mat. Jesus removed the temptation to go back. Get up and take up your mat. Roll that thing up and put it under your here and take it home with you. Get up, take up your mat. What does that mean for us? Well, pick up your, your mat in one sense, meant that he might lose his place in line, right? He's been waiting, scooching maybe just a little bit over this great period of time. If I get up and take up my mat, what if I lose my place in line in the thing that I've been putting my hope in? Have you ever, you know, what if you were at the TSA line, you're at the airport security? How many love that? It's so fun. TSA, DMV, ooh, about the same, right? Hopefully nobody works at either one of those, forgive me. But having been in the airport recently, what if you're halfway through this long security line, you're, you're, you know you're, you're pushing it to make your flight anyway, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, come with me, I'll get you through security. You're going to have an inner battle to start with of, uh, I've been waiting here, if you better know what you're doing here, and I got to go to the back of the line someone's going to get broke, right? Because <laughs> you're going to be frustrated. You're putting your trust 
in somebody to get him in front of the line. In other words, Jesus took away what was comfortable to the man. That mat, mat meant comfort to him. I would say this to us today. Your mat, my mat, is what we lean on for comfort when we're uncomfortable. Our mats are what we lean on when we feel helpless. He says, take up your mat. Don't look back. Then he says, walk. <laughs> Get up, take up your mat, and walk. Jesus con expected continued success. He expected this man to get up and to walk. Faith is doing what God tells us to do. Faith is believing God is who he says he is, and faith is believing we are who he says we are in him and because of him. And our life is a walk. Our life is, as a disciple of Jesus is a long walk in the same direction. Do we get off the path sometimes? Yes. Do we get lost sometimes? Yes. Why? Because we stop following the leader. Follow Jesus. And sometimes I, I, I get this feeling that maybe some folks are just tired. You're pulled over to the side of the road right now, so to speak, and your check engine light's on, your low fuel. Hey, get back in the race. Get back in the walk. You're, you're on, a, on a long journey in the same direction, and you pulled over to sit on a park bench for a little bit and catch your breath. Keep walking. Walk it out, walk it off. We say that in sports all the time. You get hurt, hey, walk it off. Yeah, it's, it doesn't feel good when you hear it in the moment because it feels like it's a cliche when you're in pain, but it's true. You gotta walk it out and walk it off. God wants us to get well. And he asked the question to us again, do you want to get well? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this story. Thank you for meeting us right where we're at. Lord, we identify with the, the invalid, the man in this story who needed healing. Help us not to put our hope in the wrong things, but to have our hope put in you, to have our hope and eyes fixed upon you, Lord. We turn to you in trust today. Lord, maybe some for the very first time are putting their, their hope in you and trusting you to be Savior and Lord. God, we're, 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 we, we admit we're helpless this morning. We're trusting you to grow us, to change us, make us like you. In your name we pray.